Sorry, I think the smoke. That's my throat. Uh, choked up. Young ladies. All right, DNA of the church. Assistance. We made it to the offices of the church for our summer series. The two offices being deacons and elders. We'll do multiple sermons on elders because the word of God is very clear about the role of an elder. Who can be an elder? There's biblical data all over the New Testament regarding that information, pertaining to that information. Who cannot be an elder? Who can be an elder? The qualifications for being an elder. What the role and functions of an elder is. The New Testament presents that qualification and role of an elder, pastor, an overseer as a faithful man who should be able to teach, lead, protect, shepherd, and oversee the ministries of the church. On the other hand, there's nowhere near that amount of information regarding the office of a deacon. In fact, outside of their qualifications here in 1 Timothy 3, we really don't get much information at all about deacons. Because of that lack of information, historically, the church has asked and debated two specific questions. Who can be a deacon and what do deacons do? And one of the controversial issues, which we will get in today, is can a female be a deacon? Let me start off by saying there are good arguments on both sides, yay and nay. I do not think we have explicit biblical data to confirm one way or the other. I do think we do have biblical data, though, that does support one over the other. No matter which side of the coin you land on, on can a female be a deacon or deaconess or not, I think the word of God does provide boundaries for the local church so that in either scenario, we can be faithful to the instructions that are explicit, that are transparent. So therefore, today, we're going to examine what a deacon does, who can be a deacon, their qualifications, and finally, the reward for serving well. First Timothy 3, 8 through, well, actually 15. I think I have 13 up. Yeah, no, there we go. 8 through 15. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Women, depending on your translation, likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be a one-woman man. 
managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves, and also have great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you, Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Why are we going through this series? So that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, ought to know how to conduct ourselves and even set up leadership structure faithfully to the Word of God. That is why Paul says, I wrote to Timothy, so that churches would do this and do it faithfully. We'll just start with what is a deacon. Verses 8 and 12, we see the word deacon. And typically, if you ask someone what the word deacon means, they'll reply, it means servant or someone who serves. That, that is a correct answer. And I, I've given that response multiple times. But the more I was forced to think about it, I was never fully satisfied by that answer. And that curiosity, uh, it really took off in my previous church uh, in, in, in North Dakota because early on in that ministry, I was uh, made a member of the restructure committee, the leadership restructure committee. We don't have any committees, do we? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that part. <laughs> the, le- the leadership restructure committee, which leadership restructuring is a good thing, especially because we were working on patterning our patterning our local church from a New Testament model. Therefore, part of my role was to examine the New Testament, the entire Bible, to determine what elders and deacons are supposed to do. And I found myself continually thinking and asking myself, if the definition of a deacon is only a servant or a person who serves, what separates them from the rest of the people in church who are doing the same thing? In other words, why would we call some people deacons, but not others, if they're all doing the same job? Both of them are serving equally, even if it's not the same job. They're both serving faithfully. So why does one get the title and the other one doesn't? In the book I read then is the same one I'll recommend now. There was a book written by Alexander Strzok, if I'm saying his name correctly. He's written multiple books on church leadership. Uh, including biblical eldership and urgent call to restore biblical church leadership. He's also written a book called Paul's Visions for Deacons Assisting. If you ask anyone's advice about becoming an elder-led church, which we already are, they will all recommend Strzok's book on eldership. And I also found his book on deacons very beneficial as well. Now, I've got to insert a little quick exhortation because one of the, one of the first things I learned about preaching, uh, you're not supposed to show the sweat of your brow, but the fruit of your labor. And I believe preaching at its core it, is not a lecture. But I do want to forewarn this next point. <laughs> it, may, it may feel like one, but, but it is important. 
But what I want to put, point out is, is what Paul's saying to Timothy, the instructions that God provides have purpose for, for who is in the office of elder and deacon. And not only does it have purpose, but, but that is even evidence that God cares, that God loves you and provides providential care over you, over all of us. Because when we, when we read the qualifications, we see that God prohibits the local church to put people in those positions who are not ready for them or should not be serving in them. I hope it serves as encouragement because it, it demonstrates these instructions, these commands, and the inspired word of God demonstrates that you are precious to God. He desires his churches to be healthy and to flourish and to bring glory to his name. And so, and so therefore, part of that is he calls certain people to specific roles in the church in order to shepherd you, in order to watch over you, in order to serve you. Another way to say it would be he, he, he takes those he calls to take care of the bride until the bridegroom returns. It's an extension of God's love over us. It only exists in the local church. All right, so I'm going to, after that exhortation, we're going to switch gears, nerd out for a minute. One of the main points of Strzok's books on deacons is to demonstrate that the, uh, the office or the role of a deacon is an assistant. An assistant to the elders in their local ministry. And he goes into great detail in order to substantiate that claim. Or at least he provides a great deal of work from a doctoral student uh, who he quotes and, and did this work on a deacon. What is a deacon? At great lengths. The doctoral student, Clarence D. Agin III, if I'm saying that correctly, completed an extensive historical and lexical study of the word group from diacon, deacon, right? Diakoneo, diakonia, diakonas. Those are the Greek words that we see in the New Testament, or even more than that, because he examined 770 uses of that word group from secular, Jewish, and Christian sources dating from 6th century B.C. to the early 3rd century A.D., and to date, Egan's study is the most comprehensive study there is and examines the largest number of occurrences from the diacon or deacon word group. Now, within those 770 uses, occurrences in the group, he provides four main definitions. Sometimes it means Table attendance, a waiter, a server, attendant with the duties of serving food and drink, waiting on tables. We see that in Luke 17, John 2. Those are the references he gives. Number two, domestic attendance, a domestic servant or slave with the function of performing a wide range of household activities or attending to the personal needs of the master. Biblical references, Matthew 25, John 12. Commun number three, communication or delivery. An officially commissioned messenger, emissary, or courier who delivers a message or an item on behalf of another. 
You'll notice Romans 16.1, that is what he would say Phoebe was, that she was called a deaconess, and she was called to deliver a message. Number four, agency or instrumentality of one who carries out the will of another or a task on behalf of another. In many contexts, the idea is that of a subordinate carrying out an assignment on a superior's behalf and having full authority to execute the superior's delegated task. And you'll see Acts 19, Romans 13, and 2 Corinthians 11. It's the least frequent usage of the term and often is found in verb forms. Now, follow along. We're almost, we're almost out of the lecture. Based on his assessment, Egan concludes that the deacon, diakonos, in 1 Timothy, our passage today, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 12, and Philippians 1, 1, expresses agency. So number four, rather than table waiting or an emissary. Another, his conclusion is that the office of a deacon does not simply mean a servant. Yes, they serve. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's part of the heart of a deacon. But in these specific verses, especially the passages we're going through today, these two verses, verse 8 and 11, it specifically means the office of a deacon serves by assisting the elders of the local church. Furthermore, to support his claim past the word study, he points out that the, uh, the third edition, the newest edition of the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, which is just a, uh, a, a Greek dictionary, right? and other early Christian literature, it's a standard dictionary of the New Testament. It's called the BDAG or the Bauer. It lists one of its entries as one who gets something done at the behest of a superior, an assistant to someone. An assistant to someone, one of the entries. And the entries that list where those definitions appear are in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, and verse 12. What does that mean? It means we should translate today's passage and understand the office of deacon as one who is an assistant. To answer the first point, what does a deacon do? They assist. Assist who? The elders of the church. Point two. Assist with what? What are they supposed to assist the elders with? I'm going to make an argument from silence, which you probably should never say from the pulpit. Uh, by, by an argument from silence, I mean that we aren't told what they should assist with. It doesn't say it. And, but I believe that silence actually helping, the fact that it doesn't say it, what they're supposed to assist with, actually helps us determine the answer. I think about it for a moment. Just think about the, con, or the uh, 1 Timothy 3 passage. There's no specific duties. There's no jobs. There's no roles mentioned for deacons. When we examine overseers, elders, pastors, we know what they're supposed to do. Preach, teach, lead, shepherd, oversee, etc. And we get to deacons, we just get a blank canvas. If we turn to Acts 6, though, 
think we can, I think the Lord shed some light on this. Acts 6, uh, 1 through 4. You're probably familiar with the passage. Luke writes, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. That's important. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the, the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this day. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So in verse 1, the church is growing, right? The number of disciples, they're growing, the gospel's spreading, which implies what? We see that the church has more people, and therefore, as the church grows, so do the needs, right? Eventually, the needs of the people here in Acts 6 become so great, and the, the needs of the widow, that it, 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 the, of, sorry, the needs of the widow, the Gentile widows, being neglected by the Hebrews. So the apostles says, or the apostles say, they get together, the twelve, and they say, look, enough is enough. We got sermon prep, okay? We, we, and we need to be heavily focused on prayer right now. Therefore, find men of good reputation who love Jesus and have them take care of this. So that we can focus on what we've been called to do, the ministry of preaching and prayer. It doesn't mean that the widow's need was any less important than preaching and praying. But it did mean that their work would have, that, that the apostles' work of ministry of preaching and prayer would have been jeopardized if they had to tend to every single significant need in the church. It just goes back to last week's sermon. We, we need each other to complete, to fulfill the ministry that the Lord puts before us. And our exhortation or application, it's simply just an overflow from, from last week's sermon. Don't be tempted to believe that the work of the elders is more important than the work of deacons. Or that the work of deacons is more important than the work of our members. And that type of thinking... Right? contradicts what Jesus taught the disciples about who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, who did Jesus say is the greatest? Your elders? No. Your deacons? No. The greatest is the one who considers themselves the least. And the picture we're given about what it means to humble yourself to be the least in the kingdom of God was given perfectly by our Lord Jesus Christ who washed the feet of his disciples. And at, the, and at the heart of Jesus' ministry, the heart of Jesus' ministry is found in Mark 10, 45, which says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Uh, Smethers, Smethers, Nine Marks writer, pointed that out, or pointed out what I'm going to say next, that that passage, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He points out in the Greek that it's the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, but to deacon. Which means it's 
be least in the kingdom or to be greatest in the kingdom is to be a servant. So if you want to be a leader or consider significant in the kingdom of God, in the local church, in eternity, the application is you better be willing to wash the feet of people with lesser stature. For the record, in Acts 6, the church no longer has apostles, but the church does have elders who fulfill the ministry of preaching and prayer. And as the, our church grows, as local churches grow, so do the needs. And at that point, when elders cannot maintain their primary duties with the addition of multiplying members and multiplying needs, then they should appoint deacons to help assist them with the ministries of the church. That's precisely why I think the answer to what, to what do deacons do is made from silence. That there isn't a list of responsibility for deacons because the needs of the people will look different in every church. What, what, what we need, right, and, and cornerstone, what, what the elders need in to do in this church, well, all elders need to do ministry of preaching and prayer, but the needs of Cornerstone may be different than the needs of the Nazareth church. The needs of that church may be different than the needs of the First Baptist church. So it's not just one specific do this, this, and this. It's do whatever the elders need you to do, whatever the needs are of the church. That's what a deacon does. So the implication is the church doesn't need to ask, what does a deacon do? Instead, we need to ask, what do the elders need me to assist with? What do the elders need them to assist with? Okay. One of the moments I've been waiting for, I hope you've been waiting for it. I don't always like to get into controversial issues, but today... I am. <laughs> Sorry. You shouldn't laugh at that. Okay. Point three. Who can be a deacon? So it's a weird title to this point, but it'll make sense in a, in a second. There ain't there. Let, verse 11 of 1 Timothy 3. Let's just throw it out there. Can a woman be a deacon? We are met with a split decision in the universal church. Some faithful Christians say yes. Some faithful Christians say no. There's good arguments from both sides. But the elders here, including myself, believe that there is one side with better arguments. The word of God does permit a woman to be a deaconess or a deacon. It supports that more than it opposes it. So we're going to examine some data. First, there ain't there. The first issue is the translation of verse 11. Now, uh, CSB, if you have an ESV, it says their wives. So some of your translation says their wives. But that's an interpretive translation. 
What that means is those who translated the ESV use their personal beliefs to translate verse 11 to say their wives. But, but if we're faithful to do proper exegesis, we at least have to point out the there ain't there in Greek. The only word used is gunikos, which can be translated as wives. It absolutely can. But it can also be translated as women. Furthermore, and here's the point, the possessive pronoun there, as in their wives, it ain't there. It's not. And while we can't say for sure Paul meant woman over wives, I agree with that. We, we can't. It's not explicit. We can at least say that the word can be translated into women just as easy as wives, and the possessive pronoun there ain't there. And then we just get into some logical reasoning. If the office of an elder is the only office the church is told they must appoint, Titus 1.5, and, and being an elder, an overseer, is the highest office in the church, why would there be a list of qualifications for the deacon's wives, but not the elder's wives? In other words, if verse 11 is referring to the wives of deacons, and not just women deacons, why don't the wives of the overseers go under the microscope in 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7? As they go under the microscope, if it was saying their wives in verses 8 through 13. I would suggest because Paul isn't talking about wives in verse 11, he's talking about women. The flow of Paul's point, verse 10. Verse 10, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. How do you test them, Paul? Well, test the women this way. Verse 11, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Test the men this way. Verse 12, let deacons each be a one-woman man, managing their children and their households well. I mean, like those are a little bit different. Verse 11, verse 12. Verse 12 is relational qualifications for the male deacon. We see that with elders as well. But Paul already gave the character qualifications for the men in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, and not greedy for dishonest gain. So it just seems it would be redundant to repeat it again in verse 12. The point is that the flow of Paul's thought is that he says, look, deacons must be tested, and then here's the instructions how to do it. You test the women by verse 11, and you test the men by verse 8 and 12. Because verses 8 and 11 are parallel character traits. They're, they're almost virtually the same character qualifications. We'll just compare. Men, verse 8, dignified. Women, Verse 11, dignified, not double-tongued, women, not slanderers, not addicted to wine, sober-minded, not greedy, faithful in all things. And then you have the one woman and man manages household well for men. We have four parallel qualifications 
in verses 8 and 11. So did Paul just repeat himself in, in verse 11, saying the same thing he already said in verse 8? Or does he give the same set of guidelines for the deacon wives as he did the deacon deacons? Or could these be qualifications for women, just like qualifications for men in verses 8 and 12? I would suggest that these are character qualifications for women to be affirmed as deacons. But wherever you land, male only or male and female, there is a guardrail that Scripture gives us. So whatever the church decides, they do not go beyond the Bible. There's a safeguard. By the way, if you got happy about me saying that women can be deacons, you may not be happy about elders and overseers, so just keep the applause to a silence. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should have said that. Okay, the safeguard. I'm, well, I think I've demonstrated I'm convinced that women can be deacons. I read, I read men, I respect men and women. Who say otherwise. But there's a safeguard. So that the church does not put a a deaconess in a position that would dishonor the word of God. And for that matter, there's also a safeguard for the local church. So that we do not put a male deacon in a position which he may dishonor the word of God. And the safeguard begins with the command in 1 Timothy 2, 11, which... A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. This is the context of the local church. Paul's writing the instructions to Timothy how a local church should operate. And we're going to get into that in our first sermon of the elders after next week, which is a baptism service. So we're going to hit that heavy. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Gives his reasoning why, which I did not put up there, but then in verses, in 3, verse 2, he says, an overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, a one-woman man, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. The safeguard is with the command in 1 Timothy 2, 11, beginning, where Paul says, he doesn't permit a woman to exercise authority, teaching over authority over a man. And then in 1 Timothy 3, 2, we see the qualification of an elder's ability. What, what an elder must be able to do is have the ability to teach the Word of God. Now, it's a safeguard because it doesn't matter which gender you are, the office of deacon, it's not permitted to, to, to teach with the same authority that elders, that overseers, the pastors have. In other words, deacons are not, are not placed, they're not affirmed by the church to function as elders. Goodness, I wish every single church understood that. Because I can assure you from personal experience, there are many churches, churches that set up their leadership structure with male deacons functioning as elders. 
And when that happens, the oversight of the church is handed to a group of men who do not belong in those positions. They are not qualified to be there, mainly because of their character. Therefore, the, the protection, the safeguard is an understanding that the, the, church, the church is not called to submit to deacons as they are to their elders. Because unlike elders, deacons, no matter if they're male or female, do not have that teaching authority. That doesn't mean deacons cannot teach in small groups, Sunday schools, Bible studies, etc. That doesn't mean members can't. But what Paul's saying to Timothy is the expanse of teaching is limited. That they're permitted to do. We'll get more into that in our first elder sermon. We, we have to move on. For now, we should just note that a major distinction between deacons and elders is teaching authority. One qualification you see for the overseers is ability to teach. You do not see that for deacons. And we can protect the church and honor God's word by not letting those roles be confused. Qualifications of a deaconate. Verses 8 through 12, there's one qualification in each gender I want to specifically emphasize this morning. And that is the trait of being double-tongued and slandering. You're most likely familiar with someone who's double-tongued. They tell someone exactly what they want to hear, but then when they get in their circle of influence, they don't do anything but complain about how, how awful the person is and how awful their decisions they make are. And then when that is placed, when that type of person is placed in the context of the local church, especially if that person has made a deacon. They'll begin to cause disunity by gossiping about their leader's decisions. Paul says in the local church, in the household of God, there is no place for gossip. There's no place for slandering, subversiveness in the life, not only the life of the church, but specifically here in the life of a deacon. Loved ones, gossip and slander will destroy a church quicker than persecution ever will. And in fact, persecution of the church actually builds the church. Slander destroys it. And that is the reason for making sure our deacons are not double-tongued. They cannot be men or women who undermine the elders of the church. They must remain united with the elders even in their disagreements. The elders have to remain united in their disagreements just as well. To remain united in disagreements. Loved one, you don't need passivity for that role. You need humility. And there's a difference. Maybe you do have great ideas. Maybe your idea for ministry was better than the elders. But the Bible instructs 
who we bring our complaints and our anxieties to when it doesn't go our way. And it's not the congregation. It's not friends and family. It's not co-workers. It's the Lord. Verse Peter 5. Peter writes, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So even when you meet with the elders and you don't get what you want or, you, or just the direction of the church isn't exactly doing what you thought they should do and you feel like the church doesn't care, Peter tells us the Lord cares. The Lord cares about your heart for the ministry of the local church and cast your anxieties on him. The first instruction Peter gives to the non-elders is, is submit. Second, if you're still troubled by submitting to the elder's decision, cast it. Cast it on your knees upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Everybody has a voice. But Paul's point is, our voice should never be heard in the form of gossip, slander, or divisiveness especially from our deacons, because the role of a deacon is to help build up the church and assist the elders, not tear it down. No. No. Oh, qualification, verse 9. This could have went first. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. They must not waver in their faith. A deacon must have a firm grasp, a firm grasp on the gospel. A deacon must, must live a life that demonstrates that they have genuine faith. The worst thing a congregation can do is affirm a man or woman out of necessity who have never actually shown a genuine love for Christ. And that happens. And love, a, a deep love for Christ, a deep love for the gospel, a sincerity of joy that their sins have been forgiven, that, that, their, that their joy is Christ, their joy is to serve. That is a sign of genuine faith, and the deacons must possess that. The church does not need men and women to fulfill the office of a deacon. The church does need faithful men and women who love Christ and just want to fill needs. Paul doesn't say they have to be able to, be te able to teach as elders, but deacons do have to know and hold fast to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ with a clear conscience. It's simpler, simply stated. They just, they need to know they're saved. Their life needs to demonstrate Christ as Lord. There's no wavering about that when they're tested. So the beginning test of deacons is do they hold fast to the gospel? Does their life resemble that reality?
I'm not going to do any self other people promos. But I do know a man who demonstrates that. Servant heart and love for Christ. And that's a good servant to have in our church. And we should all aspire to that type of service, including elders. Here's motivation, right? Here's, here's, the, here's the reward for serving well. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Those who serve well will be honored. <laughs> the funny thing is they don't even want it. Deacons who serve well gain a good standing in the church, Paul says. They, re- they, they gain respect and they become highly admired by the entire congregation. You've met a faithful deacon before. You know how they're exalted. I mean, I, do you remember the day in the past when honor was actually considered a great reward? That seems to be vanishing from our society if it's not already gone. But I may, may I suggest to you today that the issue is not that the value of honor has lessened. The problem is that we no longer value honor with its proper worth. Paul says, an honorable standing in the local church is priceless treasure. Deaconing is not a paid position. Paul says it's a respected one. You can look at the history of every local church, and those who have served well are highly esteemed by every single member who knew them. You want a legacy worth mentioning? Paul says, become a servant in a local church who everybody can recall. That was a person who truly loved Christ, and we know that because their love was shown by the way that they served us. John 13, 35, by this you will know they are my disciples. How, Lord? By the way they love one another. By the way that they love you. It's a good standing. Finally, those who serve well will see great glory in Christ. Verse 13 still. The second reward is an increase in one's own faith and just their personal fellowship with Jesus. Typically, if you ask any mature Christian how they, how they grew in their faith, how they matured in their faith, most, most are going to typically respond with, I grew in my faith by, by trusting God through suffering and through trials. That's Amen. But here, in this rare occasion, Paul says the faith of the deacon will grow not by suffering, but through serving. 
Now, maybe some of you think serving as a deacon is nothing but suffering. And that's, that's fair enough. Paul's point here is the deacons who are faithful to assist the elders and serve the church, they will continually grow in their walk with the Lord. Who doesn't want to see Christ in a greater glory, to know him more? Who, do, who doesn't want to expand in their knowledge of who Christ is and have more hope and confidence and assurance in the Lord? You're going to wake up tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be Monday, and you may not wake up with a whole lot of confidence and hope. Paul says, yeah, but those who serve the church well, their hope and confidence grows. On Monday morning, they have more. Who doesn't want a more intimate relationship with Jesus? Who wouldn't give everything, everything they possess to sense the constant presence of God? Do you want that? You don't have to be a deacon to receive that. Do you want that? Now Paul says to those who aspire to be deacons, he writes to Timothy and he says, look, explain to those who aspire to be deacons. The greater they serve their local church, the greater the glory of Christ will appear. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, I fear that the gospel was not proclaimed in this sermon as much as it should have been. And I pray that you would forgive that. And I ask that you would forgive that. And I would ask that by grace and my insufficiency that your message, the good news, the gospel, that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who became a human, came and lived a sinless life and died in our place so that our sins may be forgiven. Because there was nothing we could ever do to remove them by our own effort. There was nothing good enough we could do for you to forgive those. And instead, you sent Christ to die on the cross in our place. And we are innocent who believe. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed every single sin. There is none left for us who believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. God, I pray that even as we articulate that in prayer, that you may even save one today by my insufficiency in preaching, but your sufficiency of your word and the work of your son. Amen.